Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Happy Pioneer Day. Welcome to a special program celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy. This is a look at our past, present, and future. Now, our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to this special Pioneer Day 2020 special on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News, and we are celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy, our past, present, and future. For the next three hours, we're going to go through everything from international pioneers to local pioneers, big city, small city. We'll talk about innovation and pioneering in music and science and all the things that happen here in the great state of Utah as we celebrate this 24th of July holiday and, again, that great pioneering legacy. Uh, and I could think of no better way to kick off our program today than to go to uh, the source. I just call him Wikipedia. Uh, Rick Turley, who is the former assistant church historian, recorder, and uh, one of the smartest people I know when it comes to history. And Rick, thanks for helping us kick kick off Pioneer Day today. Thank you for the invitation, Boyd. Well, a, a lot of Utahns know the kind of the general story of the, the pioneers uh, moving their way west. But uh, give us a little backstory. Give us kind of a behind the scenes. What What was this really all about? This was an unprecedented movement of people. Uh, across the continent, but give us some uh, some behind the scenes look there historically. Yes, we normally think about the pioneers as being those people who traveled to Utah between 1847 and 1869 when the Transcontinental Railroad was completed. But I think many people are either unaware or have forgotten that before 1847, Latter Day Saints, including Brigham Young, who led the initial trek, had a lot of experience with pioneering. When the first missionaries were called. In the, for the church in September and October of 1830. They had to travel from the area of New York, where the saints were at the time, all the way down to Independence, Missouri. And that was a trek longer than the distance between winter quarters and Salt Lake City. Mm. They traveled by boat, and they, they walked much of the distance, even as just the way that the pioneers who came to Utah spent much of their time walking. But I think we forget that they had that pioneering experience. The first documented wagon train that we've found is actually the saints who were moving from the New York area to Ohio in that uh, 1830 to 1831 time period. When the saints left Missouri under adverse circumstances in the late 1830s, they had to pack up an entire people and somehow get them from western, northwestern Missouri across the Mississippi River east to Illinois. And the man in charge of that effort was Brigham Young. Joseph Smith was in the Liberty Jail at the time, 
So Brigham Young was responsible for organizing the people and moving them at that point east across the state into the state of Illinois. When the Saints left Illinois, he was responsible as well for getting them from Illinois across Iowa to their winter quarters in the area of what's now Omaha, Nebraska, and in dozens of other settlements along the Missouri River. So by the time they left in 1847, they'd had a lot of pioneering experience, and Brigham Young knew how to organize a group. We talk about the challenges of the pioneers, the people who died, particularly during the the tragic uh, handcart problems of the Martin and Willie Handcart Company and their two support teams. But if we set that group aside, on average, Latter-day Saint Pioneer Companies fared better in terms of their health and the number of casualties than did most Overland companies during that time period because they were experienced. They knew what to what to do. The, the church leaders gave them a list of specific items to bring with them. And in addition to what we normally think of is the travel across the plains in wagons or on horseback or mostly on foot, there were other ways in which pioneers arrived in Utah over the years. A lot of the pioneering historians like to talk about sail and rail and trail. We had pioneers who came across by boat. I think particularly about uh, some of the, the very difficult times that they had. Crossing by boat often led to deaths from sickness and accident and so on. The worst accidents were the Saluda steamboat accident of 1852 mm-hmm. in which a, a steamboat boiler exploded, killing a number of people. Then there was the wreck of the Julia Ann that was coming from uh, the Australia that Julia Ann wrecked on a reef and left its inhabitants basically waist to chest deep on that reef wow. during the during that uh, period in which it uh, was there in 1855. And then there were people who came by rail, and we sometimes think that if they came by rail after 1869 <laughs> that they weren't really pioneering. They don't count, yeah. <laughs> and, and in fact, at the time, there were many people who thought that once the railroad came, we'd lost a right of passage, that people who mm. came to Utah after that point weren't as tough or as hardy or as dedicated. But the reality is that some of those people who got on the train had already made a hair-raising trip across the seas or from other portions mm. to get there. Uh, in fact, uh, when I think of pioneers, I also think of such things as the the trip of the very first pioneers who went down to to the area that's now French Polynesia in the 1840s from Nauvoo. They went east from Nauvoo to the Atlantic coast, and then they went across the Atlantic coast to down south of uh, Africa and then up into the area. They were headed to Hawaii, and then instead of all going to Hawaii, they stopped in the area that's now French Polynesia, and Addison Pratt got out and tried some Hawaiian words he learned when he was uh, on a whaling vessel as a young man. The people there seemed to understand it, and so he stayed there and pioneered, and this was while Joseph Smith was still alive. Wow. So we had pioneers that were going long distances even before the Brigham Young period. Wow. That is uh, that is a lot. <laughs> uh, it's am- it's amazing that uh, that so many of those efforts were just built one upon the other. You talk about that organizing and Brigham Young's practice in organizing and, and uh, moving people uh, around the continent before moving all the way west. Uh, in, in our last few moments, Rick, let's uh, let's focus on once they got here to the valley. Uh, they still had a lot of pioneering work left to do. They did indeed, and they continued to pioneer throughout the rest of Brigham Young's lifetime and even beyond that. In many ways, they were still pioneering up through the late 19th and into the early 20th century. There are hundreds of settlements uh, from southern Canada to northern Mexico that were the the places where Latter-day Saint 
pioneers went and established themselves. So the, the pioneering effort continued for some time. And I would just say, globally speaking, that this pioneering continues to the present day. I've traveled around the world visiting nearly 100 countries examining the history of the church in those areas. And we have wonderful pioneer accounts in many of those locations. I think particularly of an interview that I did with Elder Marcus Nash in Otavalo, Ecuador. We were talking to some of the early saints there, and I was talking to um, two, two people, a couple there who had been early pioneers, and their son was listening the whole time, a young man in, probably in his 30s, and he had his head down, and I thought, well, he must be bored. <laughs> and when we were done, I, I, I said, Our, what's your story? And as he slowly came up from that position of having his elbows on his knees and, and began to look up, I saw tears pouring down his face. And he said to me, you know, all my life, I've looked at the North American pioneers as my role model. I've admired their faith. I've admired their dedication. But today, for the first time in my life, I realize that we have pioneers right here in Otavalo, and they're my parents. Oh, love that. Uh, Rick Turley, that is the perfect setup to our special three-hour coverage here on KSL News Radio as we talk about the legacy of pioneering past, present, and future. And uh, that teases up perfectly. Our next segment uh, will have uh, both Sister Joy Jones, who will talk about the children pioneers and their special role. And then we'll be uh, privileged to be joined by Elder Ulysses Suarez, uh, who will talk about more of those international pioneers uh, for the church as well. Rick Turley, again, former assistant church historian. And uh, as you just experienced, uh, someone who can weave history and story in a way that is inspiring to everyone. Rick, appreciate your work, and I know you're not retired, maybe tired, but you got a lot of work left to do. Thanks for your efforts. <laughs> Thank you very much, Floyd. All right, stay with us. As I mentioned, when we come back, we'll talk about children pioneers and the international pioneers. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is Celebrating Utah's Pioneering Legacy on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to this special Pioneer Day program on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. It is great to be with you on this 24th of July holiday as we celebrate Utah's pioneering legacy, past, present, and future. Recently, I had the opportunity with many of my colleagues to interview President Joy Jones, who is the general president of the primary of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She leads the children of the church and we were able to visit with her up at the uh this is the play state park as we began our interview with her i was struck by this idea that as we race about especially even on a holiday uh, that it is important for us to slow down just a little bit 
and actually remember. We get so busy in the present and we're always looking forward to the future, but sometimes we forget to look back. Sometimes we forget to remember. And yet we build upon all of the things that were done in the past and all of those wonderful people who sacrificed so much. Next, we were able to ask Sister Jones uh, just about the children. And there are a few interesting things about how many children there were and what their journey across the country was really like. Well, first of all, I marvel that the majority of the pioneers were children, those precious children of all ages, the hardships and the challenges that they faced. Perhaps today's children won't face challenges of that same sort, but they will face challenges as well. And our children can look to those children and realize it was hard for them. They did hard things. And our children today do hard things as well. What a legacy that is for our children to realize these precious little ones who went day after day following their parents' example, doing what they were asked to do. As the general president of the primary organization in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Sister Jones has been able to travel around the world and recognize the fact that there really are pioneers everywhere. In my brief travels, as I've had opportunities to be in different areas of the world, I've witnessed children doing hard things, but they're always smiling. I've watched children as they've worked beside their parents and then taken their produce to the market, and they stay there all day and into the evening with their parents selling produce. I've watched little ones that lay on dirt floors to take their naps in the afternoon while their parents continue to sell their produce. It's been remarkable to see these children do what they can do. They're always so anxious to participate, so anxious to serve, so anxious to help, and to be considered a contributor. And I've seen that over and over again. I, I've been reading about my great-grandmother's history recently. Her name was Helen, but everyone called her Aunt Nell. And she was just a very cheerful, busy, wonderful woman. And she was born 10 days before her parents came into the Salt Lake Valley. She was born on the trail in the back of a wagon. And that was her beginning. And she grew up working hard, sacrificing much. But something that stood out to me was her example when she was 15 years old. She was one of 10 children. She was the oldest. And her mother was one of 22 children in her family. And so her mother was always frail. She had a, a difficult time physically throughout her life. And when Helen was 15 years old, she was running the household. She was taking care of her siblings and her invalid mother. She was cooking over the fire. She was sewing clothing by hand. She was making candles. She was weaving. And I marvel, I just marvel at the things that she accomplished. And I think today her DNA is in me. I can do hard things too. I won't do the same things that Helen did, but as I see children today, I witness their sacrifices and their willingness to do hard things. And sometimes they do things that they don't even realize are possible, and yet they step forward, they have courage, they have faith, and they're willing to try to do what is required of them. And so my hat's off to the children of the world. I just love that perspective from Sister Jones and uh, the the great work of children around the world. And it was so stunning. We were we were up there. It was in the morning. Uh, this is the place, uh, Heritage State Park. And she was there by the monument that is built to the many children who didn't make it all the way to the valley, who passed away along the trail uh, as a tribute to them. And as we wrapped up our conversation with Sister Jones, 
she gave me great insight into this idea of mindfulness. We often talk about mindfulness as a way to slow down, as a way to get peace, a way to kind of push aside the, the chatter and clamor of the world. And she gave me a whole new perspective on what it means to be mindful as she talked about a, a really cherished uh, experience she had uh, back at a cemetery in New York. I love thinking of last summer. I was standing in front of the headstone of my third great-grandmother. She died in her 20s. She is buried in Minden, New York. And as I stood before her grave, I felt such a connection to the past. I felt such a connection to all those loved ones who are mindful of me. So why would I not be mindful of them? Their lives were important. Their lives mattered. And that hit me so strong. It was, it was a powerful moment as I stood there and talked to her, as I felt her as my guardian angel. I think it's so important that mindfulness, that ability to be mindful of the past and mindful of the present and mindful towards the future. Uh, and those pioneers that went before, and uh, they're still around. Their influence continues to be felt. Well, we also had the opportunity not too long ago to uh, sit down with Elder Ulysses Suarez, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, born in Brazil. And it was a great opportunity to get his perspective in terms of what international pioneering is really all about. Well, it's not only important, it's fundamental to remember the legacy these pioneers left with us. They suffered so much to leave this legacy to each one of us. Pioneers' uh, stories can strengthen our faith and our desire to live the gospel. And uh, while our challenges may be a little different today, we don't suffer as physical suffering like they did, but we do have the pressure of the society against the principles we believe, the truth that we know in our hearts. And we have to be courageous, we have to be faithful in order to honor their, their legacy to us. So the example of early pioneers are an inspiration to our days. And we should keep it, we should celebrate it as much as we can. Not only on July 24th, but every single day of our lives, because they are our examples. I love that uh, Elder Suarez, I just call him the, the happy disciple. He's like the happy warrior. Uh, and happy not in just being cheerful. Happy because there's a quiet confidence. There's this vision of the future, this pioneering view uh, of how things go along. As we continued our conversation, he talked about some of those that had pioneered the way for him. I am the recipient of the blessings that they, through their example, bless me. So I am so grateful for them for their influence on me, for their efforts to teach me, to help me. Uh, on those days when I was a young boy attending a little branch in Sao Paulo with four or five families only, we had these great leaders. There were converts of the church that made tremendous changes in their lives. So they helped us to see beyond our eyes. They helped us to see our future. So I own much of what is happening today in my life to these wonderful people who helped me to pave the way in my life. We don't have any specific day to celebrate the pioneer in Brazil like you do have here, but we retell their stories in every occasion. Elder Suarez also went on to talk about what we can do today to be better pioneers. It actually starts with just being good neighbors. We are a global church. And uh, we are united in our desire to serve and follow Jesus Christ. 
we can personally honor this pioneer heritage by caring of their great legacy of faith and love. I believe we can contribute in our communities, help other people serve each other, the ones who are not from our faith. After all, this is what the Savior did, and this is what our pioneers did. Every place they went to became better after they left, and people enjoyed that. And we can really be a light to the world. There are many people suffering in these days. Our smile, our service, our extended arms can really show them the love the Savior has for them, and we can be His representative in extending our love and His arms to them. So I think that's the best way to honor the pioneer heritage, serving each other, serving in our communities, being good neighbors, helping each other to feel the same joy we feel, even if they don't join us in our belief. But we can help and bless them through our personal example and love. And then finally, Elder Suarez talked about this importance of gratitude. Uh, it is true that ingratitude breeds selfishness and indifference. I want to express my gratitude for the early pioneers here in North America for their great legacy. The blessings that I'm enjoying in my life were paved by their love for the Lord. And also express my gratitude for the great pioneers all over the world, in every country, that are blessing the lives of the current, present generations. We thank uh, both Elder Ulysses Suarez of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and also Sister Joy Jones from the General Primary Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for great perspective on the children, pioneers who crossed the plains, and the international pioneers who continue to forge a way uh, to move forward in a positive way. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside. When we come back, much more on our special Pioneer Day coverage here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. Pioneer Day. Welcome to a special program celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy. This is a look at our past, present, and future. Now, our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone, to a special edition of uh, KSL News Radio as we celebrate the 24th of July Pioneer Day here in the state of Utah. Special three hour coverage. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. It is great to be with you today. We're exploring all the components of pioneering, past, present, and future. And in this segment, I'm really pleased to be joined by Max Chang. Uh, Max, I think, uh, was the first, or one of the first, for sure, uh, Taiwanese-Americans born in Utah. Uh, Max is a board member for the Spike 150 Foundation that we're going to talk about, a uh, special uh, a member of the board that oversaw the sesquicentennial celebration of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad. Uh, Max is also the chief operating officer uh, at American Estate Management Corp., and has done so many important things for the arts in our community uh, and so much to uh, move things forward in a real pioneering spirit. So, Max, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Happy Pioneer Day. Well, thank you. And uh, and let's start uh, with Spike 150. Uh, a lot of people have great memories of that. That was an extraordinary uh, event and series of events, really. It was, uh, it was almost a movement, <laughs> not just a, a moment to celebrate history. And uh, tell us just a little bit about what you learned, particularly about the Asian influence, the Chinese workers and so on, their pioneering spirit in those early days in the state. We 
railroad is one of the most amazing things to connect our country, uh, both literally and figuratively back in 1869 following the end of the Civil War. And President Lincoln had the forevision to be able to see that this railroad was necessary for both the economic and great proudness of this country, but also to emotionally connect the country. And it would not have been accomplished without nearly the estimated 12 to 20,000 Chinese railroad workers who worked on the Central Pacific Railroad from Sacramento to Promontory Summit. And they they did incredible challenges you know, in the Sierra, where it was all made of granite, the hardest material in North America. And they dug tunnels mm. uh, a couple inches a day at a time using nitroglycerin and so forth. And they kind of completely, once they got through those tunnels and rare snowstorms of 18 feet of snow per storm on average. Wow. And then coming through Utah, doing, you know, 12 days before the completion, they actually um, completed 10 miles of track in one day with a few thousand Chinese rail workers and just eight Irish workers to, to uh, build 10 miles of track in one day. And they left an imprint, you know, not just finish the railroad and leave. They stayed. They were primarily working on the railroad to maintain the railroad. The railroad was built for speed, not of quality, to see who can grab <laughs> right. the most land right. at the state. At the, and so they had to go, well, fix it right away. And that has led to, I think, a great contribution of Chinese Utahns, Chinese Americans, over the years. Um, I think this year is a remarkable uh, year to recognize the 75th anniversary at the end of World War II. Mm. And many Chinese Americans were a part of that great generation who went over to the European side and fought. And they have just been, unfortunately, it's been delayed because of COVID, but they are being recognized with congressional uh, medals this year, finally. Oh, I'm so glad you raised it. I want to come back to that in just a second, because I think that's every bit as significant. Uh, let, let's wrap up with on the railroad. Uh, I love your use of Lincoln's language and Lincoln's terms. This is not just about connecting one community to another. It's the human capital connection that is really most important. And I think one of the great contributions of the Chinese that labored there on the railroad was that they did create space for this social connection. And as as you said, Max, they they didn't just come and work on the railroad. They came and stayed and they, they stayed and contributed to the society. It's important to understand that they, they also had to come over a lot of discrimination and so forth. There are laws right. that were set against them, such as the 1882 Exclusion Act, and that's where they, the first and only time in American history that they excluded a race from immigrating to the United States. And that's coincidentally is when we first see the first Japanese come into Utah was in 1882 to also work on the railroad. Right. And I think, you know, this topic is maybe very relevant now. Um, one thing that we try to teach is that there are some really great things about the railroad. There are some maybe not so great mm-hmm. things. Yeah. And, you know, there's, you know, we took advantage of maybe some labor. You could never ask anyone to try to build 10 miles of railroad today using manual labor. For right. Example. But what I feel is important is that we are just really just expanding the lens of history so we understand it completely. We learn from it. And I think that one thing that was said very well last year is we will reconcile with our past mm-hmm. and then we move forward. And I think that's an important lesson that we can learn for what I think is happening in our climate today. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you raised that, Max, because it, it is important. And I think there is this willingness. Uh, history is nuance for sure, and it's complex. And uh, I think it was George W. Bush who said, you know, it's not about uh, ignoring our history. We have to face it and then we have to transcend it and that we're not yeah. we're not in trouble for either what we did or what we didn't do. But 
but only by what we will yet do. Uh, and I think that's really the the spirit of of what you brought to bear. Uh, let's jump back to the to the World War II for a minute because I think that is another area where I think we have missed a bit of history. We've missed the nuance. We've missed the incredible contributions by some of those of the greatest generation. Tell us a little bit more about those pioneers. One thing that we have been working on, um, and again, it has unfortunately been delayed because of COVID. We have worked with the both Senate and House leadership to bring in this beautiful exhibit from Topaz attorneys from the Bay Area. Mm. And in fact, most of the attorneys at Topaz, the internment camp, were from the Bay Area. And we have this beautiful collection of panels of whether there's some stories, some poems, some artwork or stories told to a third party from these attorneys about their experience. Also, the 75th anniversary of the closure of Topaz internment camp. Right. Many of those attorneys did go back to the Bay Area, and many of them stayed here. But it is part of our Utah history. And this beautiful exhibit that, that will be rescheduled and be held at the Capitol for six months talks a lot of things. And there's this one that really strikes me, really humanizes this whole thing, that there was a poem about this doll that she's had for 70 some years. And this doll is pictured at the very top of the exhibit as beaten and tattered and all torn apart. And as you scroll down through this particular vignette, there's a picture of, of the family standing on a street in Hayward, California, dressed to the nines, beautiful suitcases. There. And there's this young little girl, probably about four or five years old, holding this same doll. Wow. And it's really a powerful image that these Americans, without due process, were uprooted from their families, right? uprooted from their businesses and so forth, and put into the middle of the desert. And what I think is even more amazing is the 442nd. The mm. 442nd is the most decorated war army battalion, and they were made of Japanese-Americans, right. mostly of Nisei descent. Personally, this is my opinion, I feel that they're the most patriotic regiment in the history of Americans. Can you imagine fighting for a country that has locked up your family? Yeah. And yet they did it with such vigor and so they saved the whole battalion in from Texas, in France, and even to this day on the anniversary, they go back for reunions and the French celebrate these incredible heroes. And of course, we are losing them by the day. Right. And so that's why I feel like on the yeah. 70th anniversary of this time, and as part of the pioneering spirit of our state, these members of the Japanese American community really have done so much, not just for our state, but also for our country, right. for one of the greatest wars which hopefully was supposed to be the end of all great wars, but we will see about that. We have more work to do, yeah, for sure. Uh, Max, we have just a, a couple moments left, but I can't let you go until we talk about the arts. Uh, you have been so involved in that, and, and one of the things that I just love was the fact that it, it wasn't New York, it wasn't San Francisco, it was Salt Lake City that was the only city in America to ever have four original works by four playwrights and composers of Chinese descent to play within a week uh, of each other, just give us a quick snapshot. That's real pioneering going on there. Yeah, first we brought in this wonderful musical called Gold Mountain by award-winning composer Jason Ma, which talks about, really, it's actually a love story, but with the background of the um, digging through the tunnels in the Sierra Mountain. It really shows the humanity and the tragedy of why some people had to come to America right. to endure these horrible conditions because their conditions at home were even worse. Mm. And I think it just shows a great reason why many of us 
came to America, or, or, or we trace our ancestors to come to America, is to create a better life. Not all of us, but many. And then we had a play up called Citizen Wong, which was related to uh, the naturalization. Uh, it was actually a Chinese hmm. who fought, the, went to the Supreme Court of the naturalizations of citizens. And we also had The Dance in the Railroad by David Henry Wong, who was a Tony Award-winning playwright. And really, it's a beautiful play about the Chinese railroad workers working during the strike of the during oh, right, Railroad. Right. And very few people know that that was actually the largest labor movement of the 1800s, wow. was actually that particular strike. Mm. And finally, we have a brand new composition of the symphony, that Utah Symphony was one of the original contributors to create this symphony by Zhou Tian. And it's a beautiful symphony that's about the beauty of the land, natural landscape from the Sierras to the plains, and it finishes with the Morse code of D-O-N-E. And it shows how the celebration by using different <laughs> sections of the symphony, similarly to how when they typed in done on the telegraph, that celebrations across the country went off. That was so beautiful all done and Salt Lake City can be a leader yeah. in this it makes me very very proud to be a Utahn. Oh, fantastic Max Chang Max I'd talk to you all day today uh, great insight so appreciate you being willing to join us today and talk about our Chinese and Asian American pioneers past present and I have this great sense there is much much more to come thanks for joining us today all right, we're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to shift to the Greek pioneers uh, who played such an integral role in mining and developing of downtown Salt Lake City. Stay with us. Much more to come here on a special edition of KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. This is Celebrating Utah's Pioneering Legacy on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to this special Pioneer Day version of KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News, and today we're celebrating the pioneer spirit, past, present, and future, and all the pioneers that contributed so much to the founding of this state and this area of the world. And really pleased to be joined now. Uh, by John Saltis, who is the uh, publisher at City Weekly, uh, someone we can have fantastic political conversations, but we're going to refrain from that today. Uh, and we're going to focus on the incredible pioneer impact of the Greek immigrants that came to Utah. Uh, John, thanks for joining us today. Well, hi, Boyd. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate this. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I do love about your uh, City Weekly and your bio is that it starts that you are a lamb-eating Bingham Canyon native <laughs> yeah. who would rather be well, in we, Greece, right? <laughs> well, when Twitter came out, that's my Twitter bio. And everybody was doing those corny. I've never changed mine. You know, people change theirs every day. But, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm very proud of uh, my Greek heritage, and uh, I do love lamb, and I would rather be in Greece many times. <laughs> Uh, well, right now, it would be a great time. Wouldn't be, be a bad time, time, would it? But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been plenty of times. I, I, I love Utah. I love Greece. That's really my top two spots in the world. Oh, that's great. Well, let's talk about that uh, Greek heritage. Uh, 
I actually got asked to write a piece about, you know, early Greek immigrants to Utah, their impact on the mining thing a couple of decades ago, which ages me slightly. Yeah. But I was so impressed with the fact that it wasn't just to come in and show up and, and try to earn some money and, and eke it out, but they immediately really established a, a culture and a center. Uh, but just give us a little of your experience and some of your insight in terms of those early Greek pioneers. Yeah, well, there were three locales where they settled in Utah primarily. Ogden, they were railroaders, and then, and then some agriculture. Bingham Canyon was, were the copper miners, and they were up there with just so many other ethnic groups. I'm from Bingham Canyon. Probably, I can name 20 different cultures. I could hear five or six languages spoken every morning when I was a kid. Oh, wow. And then Carbon County, where my mother's father settled, were coal miners primarily. And a whole bunch of those were from the island of Crete, mm. being Greek. There was another center of Greeks in Salt Lake City, more of a merchant. But they weren't really a merchant class. They were doing, uh, you know, typical immigrant work in, in the city. But many of them own businesses in and around what's now the, the Greek uh, Orthodox Cathedral, right? that area. But most Greeks actually did settle into the mining camps and and then uh, also into Ogden and the railroad areas. Yeah. So as, as you look at that, as you look back uh, on those early pioneers in, in each of those areas, Ogden, Bingham Canyon, the Carbon, uh, and here in Salt Lake City, what was it that they brought to the state of Utah? Because they, again, they didn't just pass through, you know, making a dollar or just trying to survive. They they really sunk in. But what what are the unique components, the unique pioneering components that you think they brought with them to the state? Yeah, well, three of my grandparents were born in Greece. Two, the Saltus side, uh, they settled in Bingham Canyon. My mother's side, Cretan side, uh, Carbon County. But what they brought was uh, was a real strong work ethic and a, uh, a propensity to uh, want to, uh, we call it living the American dream today, but really they were people that were trying to move up their caste in life, uh, try to make something better for their children, for their children's children. They they brought a work ethic that was very, very strong. They brought a, a, a love and belief in freedom that was very, very strong and, and pronounced uh, by some of the historical events we could talk about. But um, they helped shape the culture here. I think of when I said, you know, earlier with you, uh, three of my grandparents are uh, from Greece, and they came in 1906, coincidentally, on the same time. But my mother's mother was LDS Mormon and Mormon Battalion. Oh, wow. So I've got pioneer stock. I look at it pioneer in a little bit different way. I've got it on yeah. both sides. Yeah. Because uh, oh. the, the, the Greeks that came over were among the very, very first Greek immigrants that came. Oh, that's fantastic. And there there is that love of freedom and that uh, that work ethic uh, and then there's that sense of community, too, that I think is is so important. Uh, I grew up in the holiday area, and I, I remember the floods of, of 83, and uh, my dad was kind of a command center uh, for the sandbag crews. And I think it was only because I had seven sisters, so we had three phone lines, so we were like a novelty. Uh, but I remember the the leaders of the Greek community coming over and saying, hey, you guys do the organizing, let us do the food. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and there were never better yeah. fed sandbaggers anywhere in the world. I'm sure. Well, I didn't get the memo because I was a sandbagger. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah, but that's community spirit. It's all for what, right now. Example: it's political, and then at the same time, and mm. and right now in in this era of coronavirus, Greece has unified four months ago as a country and came through it because they said on day one, we are going to do this together. That's a community, yeah, esprit de corps, you know, pride in country, and they're reopening. Now, that's a Greek cultural thing. It, it's not 
not a bragging thing, but it, that's what just what you've described is uh, people who are willing to come in and join a community and be a part of a community and behave community-minded. Yeah, uh, I absolutely love that. Uh, and we've got just a couple minutes left, and uh, I want to hit uh, a couple things because I, I love giving people something they can do. I know there is a uh, Greek museum and display here in, in downtown Salt Lake City. Tell us a little bit about that or other things you think people can do to really get the essence of that Greek pioneering spirit. Well, you know, the, cult, the, the cliche thing, obviously, is the Greek festival. It won't be held this year, but it's the largest west of uh, Chicago. Uh, it, you know, held every September normally, but it's not going to happen this year. But on the on the campus down there at the Greek Cathedral is a small museum that traces as best it can the, the early historical roots of the Utah Greeks. And it's one of the older museums of its type in the country. Chicago has a fabulous one now, but our little museum there has got a lot of family history, but a lot of memento and truly historical things that are in that museum, too. There are a couple books and authors, you know, that you're that I can think of if anybody's ever read anything by Helen Papanicholas or her son, Zeus Papanicholas, tell the histories, the early histories of, of the Greeks that came here early. She spent a lifetime as a well-known historian in Utah, but her later years were interviewing all the older Greeks that were here. They were old men oh, by the time that. she interviewed them that were part of the culture in the early 1910s and before 1913s. Mm and got their histories down. And so that's a resource. Yeah, that's fantastic. John Saltis, thank you so much for joining us on this special Pioneer Day uh, coverage here on KSL News Radio. Uh, we're going to have you back on Inside Sources, and we'll sneak in a little politics uh, as well. But thanks so much for joining us today. Well, I can't thank you enough, Boyd. And uh, have a happy and safe Pioneer Day. And to everybody that's uh, celebrating that day, be careful. And have a Greek piece of uh, spinach pie. There we go. There's nothing like <laughs> there's nothing like spinach pie on the film the 24th of all right, that's done. Done and done. Thanks so much, John. All right, we're going to step aside for top of the hour news. So when we come back, much more on our special Pioneer Day coverage, Pioneers past, present, and future here on KSL News Radio. Happy Pioneer Day. Welcome to a special program celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy. This is a look at our past, present, and future. Now our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to our special Pioneer Day coverage here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. It's great to be with you on this 24th of July holiday as we celebrate Utah's pioneering legacy, past, present, and future. To kick off this hour, we want to focus on pioneering in business and industry and even science uh, in the great state of Utah. I think the symbol of the beehive, uh, so dominant in our state, is a great example of how people can come together, unify around common causes and efforts, and really create the extraordinary and even miracles uh, that happen when people get a vision of something bigger and broader than themselves. And so we're going to kick off with a focus in the business space. I think that's so critical for us. Uh, not long ago, I had the opportunity to interview Mark Johnson, uh, who is a senior partner, co-founder of InnoSight, worked with uh, Clayton Christensen there at Harvard. Uh, he is an author and uh, just a, a great thinker. 
Uh, and we were talking about his new book, which is about leading from the future. And it's actually something really interesting that pioneering leaders can do in a unique way. And you look at those early pioneers and the challenges that they faced. And Mark had some really interesting perspective in terms of what it takes to lead in that kind of situation. The main principle that I think is the antidote to all the short-sightedness in, in society, I think as the world's become using an army term, more VUCA, more volatile, uncertain, and complex and ambiguous, and certainly COVID-19 has made that even more more real. We tend as human beings to just hunker down and focus on the here and now and plan out from today. And while there is obviously an important piece to how we live day to day of living in the present, we're missing out on what we can learn from the future in terms of what trends and other things inform about the five to ten year horizon in the case of COVID even in the next couple of years. I think it's so important for us to to understand that VUCA concept that the pioneers really had to deal with. It was volatile. It was uncertain. It was complex. And it was ambiguous. There weren't a lot of certainties uh, in those days. But those leaders historically, those pioneering leaders, were those who would, rather than hunker down and do nothing, they would lean into the stiff wind of a, of a crisis, a challenge, or an opportunity. And that's where the great breakthroughs come from. Uh, and so I asked Mark, what is it historically that has enabled great leaders to pioneer and lead? To your point about being historical, you know, we know of these visionary leaders, and many of them were etched into their fame and into their reputation as demonstrating vision in, in times of real darkness, like mm -hmm. Winston Churchill, you know, inspiring the British during the worst times of World War II, and Nelson Mandela and what he led for the resistance to apartheid. You know, we have a whole number of visionaries. Was the aspect of their visionary thinking and leading that was critical, along with the practicality of, of actually mobilizing people and resources to address the crisis at hand. So I think it's fascinating uh, how Mark puts that together in terms of leading from the future. Again, pioneers uh, and people with pioneering vision are able to do that in a most unique way. Uh, we have an example of that as it relates to the medical field uh, right here in the state of Utah. And it actually comes in the form of uh, the nearly 96-year-old President Russell M. Nelson of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Many people don't uh, know the full story uh, of his early work, his pioneering work, when it came to heart surgery uh, and the condition of the heart. I had the opportunity uh, some time ago to sit down with Sherry Dew, uh, who was the author of the book Insight, which was really a look into uh, President Nelson's life from a, a very unique perspective. But she she focused on how he was such a pioneer, and pioneers have this spirit of not a scarcity mentality, but an abundance mentality. Listen to this. So here he goes from being told in the University of Utah Medical School, you cannot touch the human heart. And then President Nelson's now gone to get to do his residency and his internship of the University of Minnesota and suddenly finds himself on the team building the first heart-lung machine in the world. Mm. I said, how do you go from being told don't touch the heart to saying, hey, let's build a heart-lung machine? She said, oh, I've just always been curious. Well, that curiosity led him to be truly one of the pioneering heart surgeons in the world. And 
He does the first open heart surgery in Utah, and he's a part of this little teeny group of surgeons that are trying to figure it out. Imagine they're opening up hearts, and they don't know what to do. They're trying to figure out how you save lives, and they did save lives, and they lost lives. He said that they would go in those early days to these medical conferences, and this little group of surgeons would huddle and share everything they were learning, what was working, what wasn't, what had they discovered about cleanliness, about making sure the operating room was perfect, about procedural issues, what had they discovered? And I remember saying to him, so you you shared everything you were learning? You weren't worried about, like, getting the first patent or getting written up in in medical textbooks saying that you pioneered thus and such a process? You just openly shared those things? And he said, oh, yes. He said, our competition wasn't with each other. Our competition was with death, disease, and ignorance. And they're looking out to say, how can we save more lives? I had a profound experience for me in 2015, I believe, when the University of Utah Medical Center celebrated then-President Nelson, who is now president of the Quorum of the Twelve in the church. And it was the 60th anniversary of the first open-heart surgery in Utah, Mm -hmm. and they were honoring him. So I was invited to attend this event. Heart surgeons, cardiac surgeons from around the country had flown in to honor this early pioneer. And he gets up and he talks about, in doctor language, by the way, (laughs) he talks about everything they were discovering and how it happened and all this sort of thing. And, And I mean, this audience was glued. There were several hundred cardiac surgeons there. The person who conducted was head of cardiothoracic surgery at the Mayo Clinic. And he stood up and said, you know, today open heart surgery is just not that big a deal. We know what's going to happen. We know how to do it. And it's, he said, but that was not the case with a young Dr. Nelson. They were having to figure out everything that we now take so for granted. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the interesting things was that at the end, that group of very distinguished doctors, they all headed up because they all wanted their picture taken with them. Oh. And one of the great pictures is this huge group of surgeons just crowding around wanting to have an association with someone who had paved the way for them. Mm-hmm. But I go back and say, there must have been an amazing unselfishness in those early days. Our competition isn't with each other. When do you ever see that today? So much to learn in just that uh, little segment there in terms of paving the way for others. That's what pioneers do. They mark the path. They they leave a trail. They give the guideposts there. And then just that abundance mentality. There's enough and to spare. Uh, pioneers are willing to share what they learn, what they know, what they have with those around them because they realize they aren't the competition. Competition may be death, maybe a virus, uh, maybe the economy, maybe a, a trouble spot in a community. Uh, but pioneers have this abundance mentality. It doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as we get the right thing done and we leave a trail so that others can follow us in the years ahead. Just absolutely love that. I want to conclude this segment with a, uh, a little piece from uh, Governor Gary Herbert's State of the State address this year. Uh, and he highlighted uh, what I think is a fascinating and wonderful story uh, about a brand new pioneer to the state of Utah. Utah's always represented a better tomorrow. Our pioneer ancestors journeyed to the Salt Lake Valley in search of a better life and new opportunities. Today, new modern pioneers are still coming here in search of a better life and new opportunities. One such person is Mohammed al-Sadani, a 23-year-old refugee from Iraq who came to America six years ago. After graduation, he signed up for computer programming courses taught at our Refugee Education and Training Center. His hard work paid off. He is now employed by NAV, a tech company in Salt Lake, and he's making a six-figure salary. I might want to apply there myself. Mohammed's success is impressive, 
But what I find truly remarkable about his story is that he now volunteers at the same refugee education and training center where he once studied. Such great insight uh, there from Governor Herbert uh, about a modern pioneer. We're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, Amy Dot Harmer from the Utah Refugee Connection is going to help us dig a little bit deeper into some of these fascinating pioneering stories of refugees today. Stay with us right here on KSL News Radio. Is celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to our special Pioneer Day focus on KSL News Radio. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Today we're celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy, past, present, and future. And I'm really excited for our next guest because it's an element of pioneering that we we often don't talk about on Pioneer Day, and it's the the great pioneering spirit of uh, of our refugees and humanitarian efforts. So I'm pleased to be joined by Amy Dot Harmer, who's the executive director of Utah Refugee Connection. Amy, thanks for joining us for a Pioneer Day. What a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Boyd. Well, Utah obviously has a rich history in terms of helping refugees. Uh, most people think back to the uh, handcart companies stuck on the plains and. Brigham Young saying, hey, I'm not waiting another minute. You know, let's get the teams, the wagons, the the flour, the blankets, and let's go bring them in. Uh, and they did. They brought them in to, they brought them home. They brought them to a city they'd never seen, but to a community that they belonged. And you're really part of that ongoing pioneering spirit in terms of helping refugees. Yes, and refugees face similar challenges in that the place that they called home and the place that they love was no longer a safe place for them to be. And so they've petitioned to be able to come to a new place to start a new life where they don't have to think about their safety and food and their basic needs are met here. So it's a great opportunity to work with them and to see their pioneering spirit. And actually, some of them are so remarkable and amazing. It's really a pleasure to work with them. Yeah, and actually, let's go right to that. That's the thing I've been dying to ask you about is just those inspirational stories because they are pioneering uh, in very significant ways. Uh, Tell us one that maybe surprised you. You know, I know a family with five kids that came without parents, and when they got here, They were all put in foster care except for the oldest brother, and they were spread out across the Wasatch Front, and the older brother really did not like having everyone separated. So he worked really hard to get a job, get an apartment, and petition for guardianship of his siblings. And I've watched him through the past five years accomplish amazing feats as they've pioneered their way through adjusting to life here, and now Three of them will graduate from college next year. Oh, pretty remarkable! Um, ingenuity, creativity, and intelligence are universal. The opportunities aren't, and so when refugees come here and have the opportunity to tap into opportunities that they haven't had, all of a sudden you can see them really blossom. Yeah. You know, you see who they're really divinely meant to be come out. So. Yeah. I'm blessed to see that this family over five years has accomplished so much and they are big contributors to 
their own refugee community and the community mm. at large. Ah, that's so fantastic. That's uh, that is inspiring on a on a pioneer yeah, day, it's, and it's very amazing to watch. Uh, one of the things I love about your organization is you do what I think is the most important part of helping refugees or helping anyone for that matter. You never treat them like they are a liability to be managed. You treat them as you just described as human assets, humans with infinite potential to achieve and grow and learn. And to me, that's the essence of the organization and and really why the pioneering continues. Yeah, we run a social media feed called Serve Refugees, and it's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And what we do is we post a lot of these different meets and anything from COVID kits to -to back-to-school backpacks to volunteer opportunities, and the response of people in in Utah is amazing. There's very few needs that we post about that don't get met. Mm. And the beautiful thing about what happens is these people donate their time or their skills or their items, and what they discover is as they help these refugees become who they're meant to be, they discover more about who they're really meant to be as well. The reciprocity of of giving is both helpful to the giver and the receiver, and I Mm. get to see that on a daily basis. And, you know, it's heartbreaking. COVID-19 hasn't been kind to a lot of these different groups. Mm. And, you know, one of the things we're collecting is a COVID kit that has hand sanitizer, disinfecting wipes, cleaners, and... Since March, we've helped over 18,000 refugees that either have been exposed to COVID or have been sick. And so, you know, our social media feed has been super helpful to help the public know of meaningful ways to engage and help refugees, but also help them on their road to being self-sufficient and independent, which is something we really feel like is important. Yeah, man, I'd, I'd keep you here all day. Uh, there are so many extraordinary <laughs> stories there, and, and you are, you, yeah, ca- awesome. you continue to, to live this pioneering spirit of bring them in and help them belong. Uh, is so exciting. We just have just a 30-second chance here at the as we wrap up. What are some other things that uh, people can do? You mentioned the 18,000 that uh, you've helped uh, with uh, different COVID-related uh, items. Uh, what else can people do, or wh- where can people go to be part of, of this moving forward? So you can go to serverefugees.org and find information. You can follow us on Serve Refugees on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, And right now we're in the throes of putting together back-to-school backpack kits for refugees, and that's probably one of the greatest things you can help with is help these refugees feel prepared for the school year, regardless of whether we go in person or they're working at home. So, you know, like I said, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to speak with you, and I'm grateful for the thousands of people that respond to the different calls and the different things that are needed in our community, especially for refugees. So happy Pioneer Day to all of our friends across the Wasatch Front, including those that are from different countries. Yeah, fantastic. Amy Dotharmer, Executive Director, Utah Refugee Connection. Love your work. Appreciate the difference that you're Thanks. making every day and a happy Pioneer Day to you as well. Take care. Happy holiday. All right. Pioneering humanitarian efforts is a big part of this state's history and pioneering legacy. Recently, many have been uh, taken by the effort of the Relief Society of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I call it one plus one equals five million, almost six million, as it relates to 
the creation of mass. It was a humanitarian effort of epic proportion. I had the opportunity to speak to President Gene Bingham, uh, General President of the Relief Society for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and get some perspective in terms of how far back this kind of effort goes and why this mass project had such a unique point in history. Over 100 years ago, Relief Society doctors and midwives helped establish some of the first health institutions in Utah. And this is an exciting time to these many years later to partner with Intermountain Healthcare and University of Utah Health Systems on a new project. These people are dedicated, creative, and some of the finest healthcare providers in the country. Utah is successfully addressing COVID-19 with strong social distancing, personal protective equipment, and the use of cloth masks by the general public so it's so important that uh, all of this is rolling forward again on a volunteer basis. Uh, people lined up, showed up, and made a difference. I was able to ask President Bingham how she felt about that as she watched these thousands upon thousands and then millions of masks come in that had been made solely by volunteers across the state of Utah. It starts with an individual. And now we have one individual at a time who signs up on Just Serve, and then they come one car at a time, one person at a time, they sew one mask at a time, and then they bring them all back. One person at a time makes a huge difference. It's like a, you're talking about a waterfall, you know, one drop, but when all come together, then look at the power that those ones have together. I love that concept of just one person, one drop can really make all the difference. And we saw that play out again, 5.57 million masks produced in the state of Utah by volunteers is just truly extraordinary. One of the fun things we got to see, and again, part of this pioneering spirit and legacy, I had the chance to speak with Sharon Eubank, who's the first counselor in the Relief Society General Presidency for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we talked about just how unique all of the different volunteers were. They come from all all walks of life, and there's power in that uniqueness and shows Utah's pioneering spirit. I was at the Murray DI last week on Saturday watching people come in, and what struck me was the variety of people who are coming. So, you know, in a Cadillac are an elderly couple with matching face masks, you know, and they, they worked all week, and they're so excited. And right behind them is a monster truck with a young couple with kids strapped in back seats, you know, and they're bringing theirs. And every car was somebody different with a different situation. And to me, this really points out this is Utah. This is who we are, and we respond to situations like this. It is who we are in the state of Utah, and we're going to continue to celebrate and contemplate that pioneering spirit and legacy. Much more to come here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. Happy Pioneer Day. Welcome to a special program celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy. This is a look at our past, present, and future. Now our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to this special Pioneer Day edition here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News, and we are celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy, past, present, and future. Really excited to have an opportunity to share an interview uh Myself and many of our colleagues here at KSL and the Deseret News uh, were able to have with President M. Russell Ballard, who is the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, and someone who has a unique historical perspective and tie, tracing his genealogy back through Hiram Smith and the prophet Joseph Smith, 
so he has uh, sort of been that linchpin in history between the uh, pioneering efforts to come across the plains and all the way up until today. We were able to connect with him at This is the Place Heritage Park and uh, right in front of the Mary Fielding Smith uh, replica home there. And uh, it was just a really unique opportunity to sit down with President Ballard and talk about what it means to be a pioneer, what pioneer descendants are and what that means and what we can do about it here in the 21st century. Now, not everybody is a pioneer, a descendant of a pioneer that made their way across the plains into the valley. But all of us have forefathers, and regardless of our nation, our culture, where we lived before we maybe came out into these valleys, uh, we all have pioneer heritage, and we ought to honor that pioneer heritage. And basically what that is saying is we ought to honor our forefathers, whoever they are and wherever they're living. President Ballard went on to uh, talk about those original pioneers coming into the valley, and uh, some of them may be just a little bit uh, disappointed when they uh, looked over and uh, Brigham Young said, here we are. When you're here and you're celebrating the 24th of July, you're celebrating the day that these wagons made their way into the valley and Brigham Young, knowing where Joseph wanted him to come, when he saw the valley, said, this is the place, drive on. Now this was a pretty barren place. And so took pioneers that had great um, vision, and certainly Brigham Young was the leader of that group, to recognize they could go up and get the water and reroute it and bring it down into the valleys and uh, look what we have now. When they came in here, there were, I think they claimed there was one tree and uh, was a barren place. I imagine uh, those who looked at this valley, who left the beauties of the east, uh, all that marvelous uh, trees and greenery, and, and then have Brigham Young say, "Well, this is this is it." It must have been <laughs> it must have been a really shock for some of them. Well, he saw what it would become, and here it is—a beautiful city. In the crossroads of the West, we now are saying it's the crossroads of the world because of the missionary effort that we've had that's gone all over the world out of these valleys and carried this message to the four corners of the earth, really. I love President Ballard and that uh, constant pioneering spirit and that uh, Utah isn't just uh, content to be a crossroads of the wilderness with the pioneers or a crossroads of the West, but really looking to become the crossroads to the world. And that continues to spread. One of the things that was fascinating to me as we interviewed President M. Russell Ballard, that uh, we were sitting in front of and near this statue of Mary Fielding Smith. But he, he paused for a moment and talked about the pioneer women what they did, how they did it, and why we should pioneer in the same way today. The pioneer women were remarkable. And when you read the stories of some of the pioneer women, who in some ways were stronger than some of the men, who persevered and made it out to this valley and uh, helped make it into the, into the home we have now, we have to herald and cheer and thank the Lord for the great women of the world, but certainly the wonderful women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, one of which was one of the great leaders, Mary Fielding Smith.
Uh, such a great tribute. And as I uh, listened to President Ballard to give that tribute to women, it reminded me of something that Sherry Dew, who's the executive vice president at uh, Deseret Management Corporation, the chief content officer for us here, uh, she was giving some commentary about the history of the women in the Relief Society organization of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And Sherry provided a really interesting way and very interesting look into what the women did, a pioneering effort around wheat. The history of the Sisters of this Church is a, is a history of serving, and it's happened since the beginning. If you go back to Nauvoo, you hear about the necessity committees that were formed, and that was absolutely woven into Relief Society from the earliest days. Think about Emmeline B. Wells. Brigham Young calls her and basically says, I've tried to get the men to store wheat, and it just hasn't worked. Could the sisters store wheat? And so they start learning about wheat, and they don't know anything about wheat. And it spoils, and there's weevils, and there's rodents, and there are all the things that you would imagine. But over time, they figured it out. Stored enough wheat that if you then go forward several decades, when there was a food shortage, where did the U.S. government turn for wheat? To the Relief Society sisters. There's a pretty great letter written by Herbert Hoover thanking Emmeline B. Wells for the wheat that actually saved lives. When I was serving in the Relief Society General Presidency in the late 90s with Sister Mary Ellen Smoot and Sister Virginia Jensen, there was another need. The presiding bishopric came to us and said, we got a war in Kosovo. They've made it clear that they need, we're going into winter, they need quilts. Do you think the Relief Society sisters could make quilts? Absolutely. So a call went out from the presiding bishopric and from the Relief Society General Presidency saying, we need some quilts. We need 40,000 quilts. We had about 60 days to gather 40,000 quilts. And in those 60 days, we had 140,000 quilts and could never turn the spigot off for quilts. Our sisters see a need and they'll meet a need and they jump in immediately. There are so many examples. Uh, we, we could go to any country in the world today and you could find places where you can look and see, wow, there is power in a group of women who really believe the first and second commandments to love God and to love our neighbor. I think it's important to go back and realize why we want to help, though. These are women of covenant. They really do believe God is our father and that we ought to love him with all of our hearts. And that one way we show that we love him with all of our hearts is to help someone else. And you see that manifest in a time of need in the most stunning ways for the Sisters of Relief Society. Those pioneering women uh, really have created an extraordinary legacy that continues on as we talk about uh, throughout the day today. Uh, the uh, Project Protect and, and everything that took place there, we'll continue to talk about that in terms of a, a pioneering effort here in the middle of uh, a pandemic. Uh, and that's an, an important one for us to, to continue to come back to. Uh, as we continued our, our conversation with President Ballard, uh, I wanted to get him into the area of looking at some of the lessons, recognizing uh, these pioneers were heroic, to be sure, but they were far from perfect. They made a lot of mistakes along the way, and President Ballard provided from some very interesting insight into what they learned. And in some ways, the pioneers learned some great lessons by the mistakes they made. We sometimes think that everybody's perfect and they, they never made a mistake. So, well, they made some mistakes. They went some wrong directions sometimes and they didn't do things just uh, the same way they would have done it had they known in the first place what to do. And that's true in everybody's life. Nobody is perfect. They weren't perfect. But I would say as they suffered and as they made their way and as they learned to know God and to know the Lord Jesus Christ through their faith and their prayers, which they had to give mightily attention to just in order to survive to get here, that they then became uh, stronger and stronger and stronger 
spiritually. And that's the quest that all of us have. What we're trying to do is we're trying to become better people. We want our young boys and girls to be better boys and girls. We want them to stay anchored to these fundamental principles and find peace and joy and happiness in their lives. We rounded out our conversation with President M. Russell Ballard talking about some of the 24th of July moments that really made a difference for him. And he described a stirring and stunning one for the sesquicentennial celebration of the 24th of July when the pioneers entered the valley. And this is what he had to say. I enjoyed the 24th of July because it's it's a wonderful time for all of us to think about who made it possible for us to have what we have. You know, when we had the uh, sesquicentennial celebration and and, uh, the First Presidency and all of the generals, 50,000 people were here. And I was sitting next to President Hinckley as the wagons and the handcarts, which had actually made their way all the way from Nauvoo and from Iowa. When they came down the canyon and then started towards up this, uh, into this park, the whole first presidency in Karma the Twelve, we were sitting there, tears coming down our cheeks, realizing that we were reenacting 150 years later what occurred under the direction of Brigham Young, who was instructed, really, and guided by Joseph Smith where he was take, to take the saints to bring them out to the rock, these Rocky Mountains. So I've had wonderful spiritual experiences, and I'm 90, I'm about to see, I'll be 92 in October. I, I don't brag about that around President uh, Nelson, but I sure do everything when he's not in the room. Because <laughs> that's a long time to live. And, and this, uh, this reality of what we have and, and enjoy because of our pioneer forefathers is, uh, is something that no one should ever underestimate and should take time, I think, on July 24th to just pause and think and celebrate. Uh, I know you'll all have hamburgers and hot dogs and that'll be part of the ce- celebration, but I'd hope every father and mother will gather their children around them and celebrate the the reality of the pioneers that helped made it possible for them to have what they have. Uh, special thanks to President M. Russell Ballard of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Also, Sherry Dew for giving us some really interesting perspective there as far as the history of the church and the pioneering effort here in the great state of Utah. We'll step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about pioneering in the arts and music, a unique way to pioneer. Find out what it is on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Is celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to this special Pioneer Days edition of Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. I am the opinion editor of the Deseret News, and we are talking about the pioneering legacy, past, present, and future. And we wanted to round out this hour talking about pioneering music. Utah has such a rich history when it comes to music. And so we went to the man, the expert on it, our good friend Scott Barrick, who is the general manager of the Tabernacle Choir. Uh, Scott, thanks so much for joining us on a Pioneer Day. Thanks so much. Glad to be with you. The uh, the pioneering music uh, that started in this valley uh, really has a uh, history that goes all the way back to England. Uh, but the, the history is not just in terms of organizing a large choir. Uh, 
uh, it goes through everything, including the recording methods that uh, the choir really pioneered uh, over many decades. That's right. Well, you know, and you can say that the the first choir was about three weeks after the pioneers came. They had a choir, mostly men, uh, that sang at the very first general conference. And we always say that we trace the roots of the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square to that very first choir that sang three weeks after the arrival of the pioneers. Wow. And from there, it uh, it got a little more organized and uh, expanded with, with a, a lot of Welsh influence. That did, right? We had uh, a large group of Welsh pioneers that sang all the way across the plains, and they were led by John Perry, uh, one of our early Tabernacle Choir uh, music directors. Yeah. Uh, to me, one of the most interesting things is the the innovative nature of the choir. A lot of people think of a choir, you think, oh, you, you get together, you you know, <laughs> you sing a few hymns, you sing a few patriotic songs, and you call yourself a choir. Uh, but this is a choir that really has been pioneering, revolutionary in many ways. Exactly. I mean, you can. We, we've talked about the choir being associated with a lot of firsts in the recording industry for all the way back to. Uh, almost 110 years ago now, September 1st, when we did the very first large recording of uh, a large choir by the Columbia Phonograph Company that was done in the Tabernacle. Uh, and that was a historic recording. But then we have, you know, 90 years now, over 90 years of broadcasting on radio with music and a spoken word. Uh, the first demo of uh, stereo sound uh, done in the country in Carnegie Hall used a recording that was made by the choir. And uh, almost a pioneer day, July 23rd, 1962, was the first international satellite TV broadcast um, from Mount Rushmore. Uh, mm-hmm. And the choir sang on that. So a lot of firsts. And then the choir was early, an early adopter of 5.1 surround sound. Uh, so uh, it's been the choir has been associated with a lot of firsts in the recording uh, industry. Yeah, and we even had a little fun this year uh, with some of the new innovations as the choir continues to renew and pioneer new ways to get to the audience uh, with the latest album and how that actually was released. Exactly right. You know, we have a, we have a new strategy that we, uh, the president of the choir and a music director talked about on your show, uh, which is digital first. And so we actually released uh, this latest album of, uh, of hits from um, movies, uh, we released it first on uh, Spotify and on the digital channels, and then we released it uh, uh, on in physical CDs and other pieces. And, and the response was amazing. We had uh, listenership all over the world. So the footprint of the choir goes far beyond just where we can um, distribute the physical CDs, and we had uh, multiple th- thousands of, of listens in places as uh, far away as Istanbul and Taipei, and uh, it was just amazing to see. Uh, I love that. And I was one of those uh, early adopters there. It was uh, fun to have you all on the program to watch that roll out in uh, digital format first and across the Internet. Uh, really exciting stuff. Uh, real quickly, uh, before we get to how we typically see and hear the choir on uh, Pioneer Day and those celebrations, uh, which will obviously be different this year because of the coronavirus, uh, but I do want to just hit real quickly some, you know, some of those, uh, world famous recordings. Uh, you mentioned several of those, but, uh, to me, the one that I think really made it America's choir and, and I think now the world's choir, uh, was that 1959 recording of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Uh, was done with uh, uh, Eugene Ormandy and the and the Philadelphia Symphony, 
um, recorded uh, uh, together, and it was uh, what won a first Grammy award for the for the choir, and the only Grammy award we've actually won. We've been nominated multiple times, but it was a historic uh, recording, and uh, that uh, uh, album has been uh, put in the uh, congressional archives and, and uh, honored in multiple ways. Yeah, it, uh, it's still a stirring one. Uh, I think many people look to. Well, as I mentioned, we uh, we often look to the choir on Pioneer Day to uh, ring that in right and properly with a good concert. We know uh, because of the coronavirus, some of that's going to be pushed into 2021. Uh, but what is the choir doing to, to help us all celebrate that pioneering spirit this year? Well, you know, we we often say the harder we, we work, the luckier we get. Uh, we, we actually were not planning to be able to do a Pioneer Day concert this year in any event because the choir was supposed to be on tour in the, right. the Scandinavian countries and the United Kingdom. But uh, like many other things, that tour was postponed until next year. So we had always planned to do a, a replacement event, not nothing live, but to do a, a, a broadcast. And so that broadcast uh, will air on the same time and date as uh, we would have done it if we were having a live event. Uh, and we're calling it Music for a Summer Evening, celebrating 90 years of broadcasting. So we are, we've been celebrating all over the last year, 90 years of continuous weekly broadcasting of the music and the spoken word broadcast. So we put together this uh, commemorative show um, that will uh, feature some of the beloved songs of the choir and performances by some of our top guest artists. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, three three performances, uh, one by uh, Bryn Turfel, noted Welsh baritone, Chris and Jenna with his recent guest artist, and our, our sweet uh, Sissel from Norway, who was with us in Pioneer Day um, just last year. So, Wonderful. And then this, that, that recording, uh, that program that we put together also includes numerous interviews uh, with other guest artists, and uh, I'm happy to add uh, two separate interviews by President Russell M. Nelson, who will talk about his experiences um, with the choir over time. So it's going to be a lovely program. Love that. Love that. That is fantastic. Scott Barrick, we always appreciate your insight on the choir. Uh, Great connection there. It's a great part of Utah's history, and uh, I think it will continue to pioneer uh, for many, many years to come. Thanks for joining us today. You're very welcome. Again, that's uh, Scott Barrick joining us from the Tabernacle Choir, really pioneering in music uh, from the beginning, uh, from the earliest days here in the Salt Lake Valley on through today. And uh, as Scott mentioned, it goes all the way around the world. It's a real pioneering spirit and a tremendous legacy. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside. Much, much more to come on this special edition, Pioneer Day, here at KSL News Radio. Stay with us. Pioneer Day. Welcome to a special program celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy. This is a look at our past, present, and future. Now, our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to hour number three of our special Pioneer Day celebration here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. It is great to be with you on the 24th of July, special Pioneer Days, and really pleased to have joining us Greg James, who is the executive vice president of the Days of 47. And I know on a typical day, 
uh, 24th, Greg, this would be a uh, hectic day for you. Uh, this year's a little bit different. Yeah, it's a lot different. It's <laughs> a very different year for those of us uh, involved in this event and, and these various events. G- give us a little behind the scenes. What would a, uh, a typical day for uh, for you as a, a member of that executive team uh, for the days of 47, what does the actual day feel like rolling into the parade? Well, it's, it's a long one because, you know, you, we normally would have the float pre- preview party uh, out at Southtown. Uh, we'd line up the floats at 3 in the morning, get them down State Street, get them in place. We'd have a, a huge team of people uh, we were working with to get the, the bands, the, the dignitaries into their cars, the, the floats lined up, um, the military lined up. Uh, stacking up 100 and 120, 130-unit parade wow. and having it go up in the right order is a lot of work. So from 3 in the morning until till literally the parade time, uh, it's just a bustling a bustling moment in downtown <laughs> for us. Oh, wow. I, I don't think most people appreciate the fact that it's a 3 a.m. start uh, for all of you on the parade day. Uh, this is only uh, one of a few times uh, over the course of the history of this parade uh, that we haven't had one. Yes, there's only two other times we know of, and they were both during the Second World War. Matter of fact, it was interesting. I had one of my friends who reminded me that her mother was one of the royalty uh, in the year that we canceled it, and so uh, we had we had some some moments together over that one. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's fascinating, and of course, a lot of people are uh, kind of recalibrating their 24th of July celebration today. We're talking a lot about. Uh, pioneering efforts and and part of that pioneering spirit is that ability to adapt and adjust. Uh, we were talking before we came on air uh, about some of the other things that uh, the uh, days of forty seven uh, have been a part of in terms of what else can we do to celebrate. You have one in particular as it relates to children uh, who we, who we always think about uh, at a parade, uh, but up at uh, this is the Plates uh, State Park. Tell us about that. Well, two years ago, uh, actually three years ago. Uh, the days of 47 conceived a memorial to the children who didn't make it, who were buried along the way. And uh, we thought, well, that would be an interesting thing to uh, to do at our youth parade. We we actually researched names, and we, we had about 853 names we originally found. And we would hand out those names to the children, and they would walk into the valley uh, carrying that name. Mm. That was the that was the purpose of the parade. And we did that about three or four years ago, and it, we had some great success. Subsequently, that parade was canceled, and um, but we didn't give up on those children. And so we we worked with uh, the people up at uh, this is the place State Park. And we actually build a memorial to those children with uh, 17 stones with all their names on it. When we refined the list, it got down to 640, 664. Mm. Um, uh, but we've now found a subsequent 57 that should be added. So anyway, you can go up there and you can see those names. You can find out some information about those children. And you can walk a, a nice uh, couple of acre area with 47 uh, statues in it to them. Uh, memorializing things like the crossing of the Sweetwater, um, you know, Rocky Ridge, the climbing of Rocky Ridge, and and, and others. So it's quite a it's quite a nice uh, and touching thing to do. But it's a great great place to go with the family, and you can talk about your family history, and the importance of journals, and keeping track of each other. And, and and it's a good place to bring some new relevance to your to your kids' lives. Oh, that, it, it's so important. We uh, we had the opportunity to speak uh, both with. Uh, uh, President M. Russell Ballard uh, up there at the park, and then also uh, 
President Joy Jones, who is over the primary, the uh, the children's arm of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and talking about those children who uh, often we think they were just uh, kind of having a, a grand adventure, but uh, they had some pretty tough and uh, challenging days as well. So uh, I love that whole idea of remembering and engaging there. And uh, just in our last couple of minutes, Greg, I wanted to to talk both in terms of the the history of the parade and the the purpose i think a lot of us have found in the midst of this pandemic a chance to to kind of think through remember some things but also to project forward uh and i'd love to ha- get your thoughts in terms of what have you thought about in terms of the days of 47 parade and how you might pioneer it uh into the future moving forward well i think you know if you look at the titles of the parade has had over the last few years we we we've tried to be relevant not only in the past to bring context to life, but also to bring sort of the vision of the spirit of those pioneers. And so you look at you look at the you look at the space effort that's happened in Utah. You look at much of the computer work that's happened in Utah with um, so many pioneers here in, in in the digital world. And and all that's important, and all that's good, and that is the future. But it still requires people of of faith. Of, people of dedication, uh, all the traits that pioneers had will build the future just as it built the past. And so I reflect on those traits that are important for people to have and and, and hope that what, what, what all of the events we do is bring into focus the significance of, of you as an individual and how you function in your family and contribute to your family and then subsequently contribute to the community. Because uh. I think it's a it starts at the family and, and ends up on, on what you do in your community. Oh, uh, I love that. Greg James, Executive Vice President of the Days of 47. Uh, so great to speak with you today. Appreciate all of your efforts. And we're, we're looking forward already uh, to 2021 and some, some new pioneering in terms of the, the great tradition of the Days of 47 Parade. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. You know, I just love Greg's uh, perspective on all of this. It is important uh, that we do continue to look to that pioneering spirit and what we can do moving forward. We've been talking about that a lot today on this special 24th of July celebration. Uh, but I love the fact that he said, you know, if we're going to innovate for the future, we really need to make sure we're incorporating the principles, the values, the character traits of the past. Uh, that the past is actually what will enable us to have a pioneering future. That's worth thinking about on the 24th of July. Another thing worth thinking about on a pioneer day is big, audacious goals. Pioneers always do that. Obviously, in the midst of this pandemic, there have been great challenges and great uncertainty, as we've talked about throughout the day today. But to me, the answer, the solution comes when we unite, when we come together, when we rally around a big goal or a big dream. So we've embarked on a 55-day moonshot, our quest to quell the pandemic. And 55 days from July the 14th all the way to Labor Day is really the target goal. Uh, Coming up with the moonshot idea, really, uh, President Kennedy did that best when he, in a speech at Rice University back in 1962, called the nation to come together around a big goal, getting a man on the moon. And he said it wouldn't be easy. In fact, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. But the thing I love the most is he said, we are willing to accept the challenge. We are unwilling to postpone it, and we intend to win it. And so as we look at the challenges of the current pandemic, there really are compelling questions for every Utah. Everyone... 
If we believe that it really is vital for our children to be in school for the fall, what are we willing to do? If we want to meet friends at the mall, celebrate a birthday, attend church services, what are we willing to do? If we want to support the local community, build the business, advance your career, serve in the community, provide for your family, ensure that the most vulnerable are protected, what are we willing to do? That's the question. And what we're inviting in this Moonshot Challenge is to choose something you can do and that you're willing to do today. This challenge isn't about shaming others or creating feelings of guilt or value signaling in any way. It's just about coming together. Whether you are a skeptic uh, of the science or whatever you believe is settled, the call is simply to join together for 55 days until Labor Day and be part of the solution to how we actually move the state and the country forward. So join us at moonshot.deseret.com and uh, be part of that solution. We're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to go to This is the Place Heritage Park. We're going to talk to Ellis Ivory and get some perspective on the history contained at a most special place in the state of Utah. Stay with us. This is Celebrating Utah's Pioneering Legacy on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to this special Pioneer Day coverage on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. It is great to be with you as we celebrate Utah's pioneering legacy, past, present, and future. Uh, we're joined now uh, by Ellis Ivory, uh, a pioneer in and of himself in the Utah business community and uh, one of, of great influence uh, in our community. Uh, he currently serves as the executive director director at This Is The Place Heritage Park. Uh, Ellis, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's my pleasure to be on, Boyd. Uh, you you have the task of overseeing a, a really special place in terms of the pioneering spirit uh, here in the state of Utah. Yeah, you some of your folks will remember that about uh, 14 years ago, there was some discussion of shutting the park down. It's a state park, but it is run by a foundation. And uh, Governor Huntsman back then drafted me to come up and see if we could turn it around and make it a place more interesting and more people would come. So that's how I got up here, got drafted. <laughs> and uh, But I love it. It's a great place. And the more you're here, the more you feel that great pioneer spirit. Yeah, and it really has been transformed, uh, not just to a, a monument uh, and a few things. It's really become an experience uh, that I think is so essential to being able to remember and feel and carry forward that pioneering spirit. Exactly. We... My theme from the beginning was like, uh, come, come on up and, and have fun, but also as you come, you will feel the pioneer spirit and the and the principles that really made this state great. And so, it, but I think it's got to be for the whole family to come. It's also got to be fun. So that's why we have the splash pad and we have the trains and the Native American village and planning for gold. So we have all these fun things for people to do. But at the same time, when they're here and they see the way people lived back then, they get the spirit of the of the pioneers as well. Uh, it's so important. You know, the things that we forget, our, our children are not likely to know. And what our children don't know, our, our grandchildren aren't very likely to possess, uh, to be sure. Uh, and you talk about that, that whole experience there. And, and uh, I love the fact that you tied it uh, to the principles of the pioneer. Uh, what are some of those principles that you think come out naturally as people move around uh, the park? 
Well, they come out the best in this new feature that we added last year, which is the Pioneer Children's Monument. And that Pioneer Children's Monument is just uh, terrific for teaching the principles, because at each place there are these beautiful sculptures that uh, tell the story of crossing the Sweetwater Rocky Ridge, and it has then the principles of courage, hard work, the principles that sometimes, uh, especially our young people, have forgotten. Yeah. And uh, so it, as we go through the, that, to me, that would be one of the nicest things a family could do during the 24th, since we don't have the, the parade or the uh, rodeo this year, thanks to the virus. We, we see that people can come. There's uh, 120 acres of area to spread out, mm-hmm. so we have no problem with spacing, and they can come and enjoy uh, going down through the beautiful stream and the uh, scrub oak and see where the pioneers came through into the valley uh, and what we call the Pioneer Children's Monument. Uh, so, uh, and, and that is such that a would be, that, that is such a stirring uh, space. Uh, we had uh, earlier we shared our interview uh, with Sister Joy Jones uh, that we filmed right there in front of that uh, that monument, and there there is a real principled power there. Uh, as you think about those uh, little ones, we we think of them singing as they uh, scampered across the prairies, but uh, they they had some hard work and and some tragedy to deal with as well. Yeah, that that's my favorite song. That little song they sing at the end of that. Pioneer Pioneer children are quick to obey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We hope that happens today. <laughs> that's one of the one of the challenges of today. But uh, I think that. People who come here not only have a good time, but they do leave with a, a spirit and an appreciation for uh, w- why this very particular spot became what it did. This, yeah. And it really is uh, uh, the, the feeling and the spirit of it is what we hope people get when they come. So on this coming uh, holiday weekend, this, this being Friday, we're open from uh, 10 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon. Likewise, Saturday will be 10 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon. It's also half price, so uh, people can come up. We can't run our trains right now because uh, we can't do enough uh, spacing and uh, sanitizing of those to to make that work. So that's why we're doing a half price uh, uh, for the families to come and enjoy it. That's that's great. And they can come up between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., both today on the 24th and then also on uh, the Saturday, the 25th. That's correct. Okay. Yep. That that is great. Well, as uh, as the steward of uh, This is the Place Heritage Park, uh, I want to ask you uh, again. There's there's so many lessons to be learned. You just want you can just wander around there for a long time, and as you said, there's a lot of space out there. Uh, give us just one other pioneering principle that you think is really uh, captured uh, somewhere in the park. Well, I, I I think this is what's demonstrated by our own staff. Uh, this year, of course, we had to let a lot of our people go because of the COVID problem, but. Our, our main staff, there's about 36 people, and the, their, their teamwork reminds me of the teamwork of the pioneers because that's what it took for this uh, uh, desert to blossom like a rose was a tremendous amount of teamwork, of course, led by Brigham Young. But in the case of our, our team up here now, they are so dedicated to make having people have a good time. Whenever I run into people, they'll not only say, oh, I love the features, I loved all this stuff, but 
I just think your people are terrific, the way they handle you, the way they help people to understand what happened. So some of them are in uh, the old pioneer costumes, and they'll uh, tell the stories of the old days. But uh, all the staff are here just to, to to help, and I think that's that's the principle. It's the one we need today. I think if we were all helping each other a little better, we might not have quite such a big COVID problem as we have. <laughs> so. But we're very safe up here. I'd just like to add that when we come. Uh, the, the people, they, all of our people are wearing masks. We represent that, or we uh, recommend that everybody wear masks, the patrons, when they come. But all, all of our staff are in masks. And we, frankly, we've had no problems up here so far. We're fortunate. and we, yeah. So we're very careful, but also very fun. And they can come and have a a really spiritual experience. Oh, that's uh, that's fantastic, and I think you uh, I think you are right. If there was any uh, pioneering principle we needed more today, it's that teamwork element and uh, coming together to to strengthen community to help each other. Uh, I think it's both the essence of the pioneering spirit, but really what makes Utah uh, a pretty special place. Righto. All right. Uh, well, we really appreciate uh, Ellis Ivory joining us on our special three hour broadcast today, uh, celebrating. Pioneer Day, our legacy of pioneering in the past, present, and future. And, uh, again, Ellis, I appreciate your great work uh, preserving, and not just preserving, but even innovating uh, and moving it forward uh, up at uh, This is the Place uh, Heritage Park. Well, we, 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 we do our best, and we just appreciate this time, and uh, we, we hope people will have a great uh, holiday. All right, wonderful. Happy Pioneer Day to you as well. All right, stay with Thank us. You. Much, much more to come on this extended edition here on KSL News Radio, celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy, past, present, and future. Much, much more to come. Don't go away. Happy Pioneer Day. Welcome to a special program celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy. This is a look at our past, present, and future. Now our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to this special Pioneer Day celebration here in Utah, the pioneering legacy and spirit, past, present, and future. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground so far today. We've talked about pioneering from the Greek community, from the Chinese community. We talked to the Tabernacle Choir and their pioneering music efforts from the early days here in the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, very fortunate to have uh, interviews with President uh, M. Russell Ballard. Uh, talking about that pioneer heritage and uh, Sister Joy Jones talking about the children pioneers and uh, the the great things there, international pioneers with Elder Suarez of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And and then we got into some business pioneering that is uh, still a strong pioneering spirit here in the state, along with the great work being done with today's refugees. And we wanted to take a segment and really get into how we celebrate this at the community level and what it really means at the community level. And just thrilled to have the uh, legend of KSL, Doug Wright, uh, join us and uh, talk about some of these great community pieces. Doug, thanks for joining us, and happy Pioneer Day. Well, happy Pioneer Day to you too, Boyd. It's uh, it's a great day here in the state of Utah. It, it is, and and uh, you have been the, uh, we, we'd call you the mayor of Eureka, but we would offend somebody, but we're going to call you the mayor of all small-town communities in the state of Utah, and you have really been a champion of those communities that are so important to the fabric of the state. Uh, how have you seen them celebrate? Uh, what does that look like uh, in small-town Utah? 
Oh, you know, it's wonderful, and it's celebrated in so many different ways. And so much of Utah's history, of course, goes back into those small communities. My granddad was on my dad's side was born in Deseret. My dad was born in Hinkley. My grandmother was born in in Delta. The family goes back to Grafton and so on, where the other side of my family is pretty much from Salt Lake City. And so we've, uh, we've really had an opportunity to kind of see it at the grassroots level. And here in Utah, too, when I was a kid, I thought these two things were inseparable. I thought, well, you have the 4th of July, that's one bookend. <laughs> and then you have the 24th of July, that's the other bookend, and it's the big patriotic month. And I couldn't believe that the rest of the country didn't celebrate <laughs> the 24th of July. As a matter of fact, I still think that they should. But in it, each and every little hamlet of Utah, something great usually goes on. Now, today, of course, is that unique exception. Yeah, and, and it is, and it's uh, it is. It's one of those that kind of tugs at you a little bit. It's like, oh, but can't we can't we just do the rodeo? <laughs> you know, can't we yeah. can't we just do the the, uh, the parade? You know, and uh, we we want we have that longing to community. Uh, but you've seen that up close, Doug, in terms of just how deeply connected and interconnected uh, those communities are in the state of Utah. Absolutely, and there is such a pioneering spirit. And I'm, I'm so glad that in the course of the program that you've described today, that not just those who got here before the railroad, not just those who might have been in the first or the second or the third company or a handcart company, but the, the pioneers that go on to this very day. I got the most recent pioneer in our family is, is my wife, who came to Utah in the late 1970s. And I'm so glad she migrated. I'm so <laughs> glad she had that pioneering spirit. And Otherwise, I never would have met her. She's uh, she's from Missouri. But in each and every little community today, everything from just that traditional family picnic, and again, I'm talking normal situations, which the COVID-19 is not prescribed for any of us right now. But you, you mentioned the rodeos. Rodeos are such a big, big deal in yeah. the smaller communities, smaller counties. Often it's a countywide effort. And you look at the, the little parades when I was a kid, uh, they, they used to have the 24th of July Children's Parade in local communities. And what a day that was. And every kid just thought because they had, you know, little streamers hanging from their bike and uh, playing cards on the, uh, on the spoke, <laughs> Yep, yep. <laughs> they were the star of the show. And then fireworks. It was prescribed by John Adams, you know, what right. the, he, he thought it would have been not the 4th of July. Wasn't it the 3rd of July? Uh, second, yeah, next it was the 3rd. You're right. Yeah, when he wrote to Abigail. But it was supposed to be bonfires. It was supposed to be illuminations mm. referring to fireworks. And, you know, and it just went on and on and on. And in Utah, we have certainly adopted that for the 24th of July. And the little backyard fireworks, when I was a kid, it wasn't uh, anywhere near appropriate or legal to have the fireworks <laughs> right. now that we have in, in backyards. But the illuminations, the picnics, the parades, especially the smaller parades, and, you know, I'm, I'm missing a lot of that this year. But I'll tell you, the good old boys down in Eureka, they used to have this thing down pat. Now, they would purloin from whichever mine it might be, or sometimes collective mines, that they would gather with a wink and a nod, by the way, from the <laughs> superintendent of the mine, a stick, or, a stick or two of dynamite would go wow. missing. And on the, on the 4th of July, and sometimes on the 24th of July, 
they would blast everybody out of bed with back in the old <laughs> days, of course. It was 48 rounds of dynamite. <laughs> I'll never forget the first uh, 4th of July that I spent in Eureka. This, this is probably 1975, right after I bought my house. And I, all of a sudden, the windows were shaking. I thought the world was coming to an end. And no, it was the good old boys up on the ridge setting off 50 rounds of dynamite to celebrate this this uh, great country, and then often there were a few little explosions on the twenty fourth. On the too. side, yeah, oh, that's so good. And, I, and those small town uh, parades are just the best. I, I remember the first time I went to my uh, wife from a very small town uh, in southeastern Washington, and it was the Fourth of July. And I thought, oh boy, this is just going to be awful. Uh, and then I looked up, <laughs> and there was this twelve year old boy sitting atop you know, this $140,000 tractor <laughs> and he's driving it down the main street. I thought, okay, yep. this is good. <laughs> this is the way it works. And back in the day, the fire department in Eureka that sent one fireman, one fire truck to the north side of town, one to the south side of town, <laughs> they would go about three or four miles an hour and kids would just pile on. Yeah. Now, of course, now, with all of the rules and the regulations, sadly, that great tradition, which, by the way, my kids participated in, and yeah. gladly so, and we have some, some priceless pictures of that, but you know, sometimes we, we sanitize ourselves out of having fun. Yeah, that's very true, very true. Well, Doug, we just got about a minute left, and uh, I want to get to, uh, as, as you watch from your incredibly unique perch uh here at ksl for several decades uh, watching the pioneering spirit of utah if you had to boil it all down what do you think is the essence of that pioneering spirit for utah you know i think it's just wanting to celebrate the goodness that we have i think it's wanting to always look for ways that we can do what the constitution mandates us to do and that is to form a more perfect union. And whether it's a more perfect family, whether it's a more perfect community, a more perfect street that you live on, a more perfect state, I think that's kind of inbred in all of us. And we just we just want to be better people. We want to be better to one another. And we want to have better opportunity, especially for those that are coming after us. I love the old pioneer spirit, the old pioneer story that you plant the tree, not for the shade that you'll enjoy, yeah. not for the fruit that you'll enjoy, but you plant the tree, you plant the fruit, you plant, you, you plant the crop for the people that come after. And I think, I think we do that. I think we do it well. I think here in Utah, there's, there's a, and, and the Intermountain West in general, there's a particular spirit about that that mm. just resonates with me. That's, that's what the 24th of July is for me. Fantastic. The legendary Doug Wright. Doug, always appreciate your perspective, and uh, you are part of that essence of that pioneering spirit of a more perfect union, a more perfect state. Uh, appreciate all you do. Talk to you soon, Doug. Uh, thank you, boys. Have a great, great holiday. All right, again, that's the great Doug Wright uh, joining us on this special coverage here on KSL News Radio. We're celebrating the pioneering legacy, past, present, and future. Stay with us. Much more to come. Is celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to our final segment on KSL News Radio's special Pioneer Day 2020 celebration. Really looking at Utah's pioneering legacy, our past, present, and future. If you missed any of the segments over the last three hours, 
Make sure that you go to the KSL News Radio app, powered by our friends at Any Hour Services, and pick up the podcast. This is three hours of some just highly entertaining, very informative, very inspiring information uh, from a host of our guests. We want to thank all of our special guests. Uh, Rick Turley, former assistant church historian for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Greg James from the days of 47. Ellis Ivory from This is the Play State Park. Amy Dot Harmer, who helped us through a great conversation about pioneering refugees right here in Utah today. Uh, of course, we had from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, President M. Russell Ballard, uh, also President Joy Jones, who leads the primary organization for the church, and Elder Ulysses Suarez from the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles talking about the international pioneering effort. Uh, we also had uh, Scott Barrick on talking about pioneering music and the Tabernacle Choir. John Saltis gave us great insight into the Greek pioneers. Max Chang helped with the Transcontinental Railroad and Asian pioneers. And of course, our own uh, Doug Wright talking about small town celebrations and all we do to celebrate Pioneer Day here in the state of Utah. It has been a wonderful three hours and uh, so many things to be thankful for on a day like today. And so I want to round out with sort of the the principle of pioneering, that it really is not only about pressing forward, but it's also about leaving a trail. As we've been discussing on July 24th, 1847, a group of weary pioneers uh, began to straggle into the Salt Lake Valley here. Brigham Young had declared it the right place. And those familiar with the history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the state of Utah know that story very well. Uh, we celebrate it every Pioneer Day, every July 24th, uh, even in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, but for those early pioneers, there was no time to rest. A uh, city needed to be laid out, shelter established, crops planted, and thousands of their brothers and sisters were scattered across the American plains, and they needed to be brought in. So this group of pioneers, they were vastly different, as Rick Turley told us, from the other cross-country pioneering treks in the the early 18 to mid-1800s. Many of those were racing to the gold mines of California or the rich forests of Oregon, and they were in a pursuit of personal wealth. Uh, The Utah pioneers were a little different. Uh, It wasn't just about themselves and their own enrichment. They actually felt a responsibility to those who would come after And because of that mindset, there was a spirit of cooperation instead of competition and shared responsibility instead of selfishness in the companies that cross the plains. Uh, We could use a lot more of that in our society today. Uh, Less criticism and more cooperation, more shared responsibility, especially in the midst of a pandemic. Gordon B. Hinckley, 15th president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, once spoke regarding the history of that pioneering vision of Utah, going really from the crossroads of the wilderness to the crossroads of the West to the crossroads of the world, as President Ballard mentioned today. President Hinckley began by recounting the moment early pioneer leaders climbed a little knoll, now called Ensign Peak, which we all know, and they surveyed the land and proclaimed a very big vision of the future. He suggested that had a reporter heard the group on that July morning in 1847, I am sure the reporter would have scoffed at the foolish naivete of this ragtag group of leaders and ridiculousness of the crazy idea and stated goal they had declared that they would make this valley blossom as a rose, that the ends of the earth would come uh, to this place, uh, which is now Utah. President Hinckley said this. He said, they did not look like statesmen with great dreams. They did not look like rulers poring over maps and planning an empire. They were exiles driven from their fair city on the Mississippi into this desert region of the West. Continuing, President Hinckley said, 
I marvel at the foresight of that little group. It was both audacious and bold. It was almost unbelievable. Here they were, almost a thousand miles from the nearest settlement to the east, and almost 800 miles from the Pacific coast. They were in an untried climate. They had never raised a crop here. They had never experienced a winter. They had not built a structure of any kind. These pioneer prophets, dressed in old, travel-worn clothes, standing in boots they had worn for more than a thousand miles from Nauvoo to this valley, spoke of a millennial vision. And then I love this. He said, they came down from the peak that day and went to work to bring reality to their dream. That kind of vision, that kind of big, bold, audacious plan is needed now more than ever. But, you know, these early pioneers, they were living the old axiom from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Leaving a trail for those that follow is the hallmark of pioneers, patriots, and difference makers across the ages. For the past 170 years, pioneers and leaders from every walk of life have been recognized for their willingness and desire to not only go where no one has gone before, but even to go as far as it was possible for them to go. But the true pioneers, they blaze the trail, they break down the barriers, they overcome the obstacles, and then, not being content with their individual progress, they ensure that the path is well marked, that the guideposts are established, and insights and principles are passed along for those who will follow. You know, sometimes the rugged individualism of America suggests that pioneers have to forge ahead on their own, isolated and alone. But true pioneers take the time to leave some insight and a little bit of wisdom for those who will come later and who will choose an equally difficult path. As I've said, the pioneering spirit is more needed today than ever before. And there's little doubt that the greatest legacy a person can leave is found in the principles and in the lessons they pass along to the next generation. We live in a day today desperate for more true leaders, true pioneers. The world needs a, a new group of pioneers and trailblazers to drive the economy, overcome a global pandemic, ensure justice, transcend prejudice, transform local communities, and ultimately elevate the human condition. The world also needs a lot of trail makers who can mark that path and pass on vital pioneering principles to the next generation. We all should be thankful for those pioneers who've helped pave the way for the prosperity and the opportunity we all enjoy here today. And then we should strive to pick up that pioneer baton, get that banner, leave the ultimate legacy to our families and our communities, a well-marked trail that leads to an even brighter future. Thanks again for joining us today on this special Pioneer Day celebration on KSL News Radio. We have been celebrating Utah's pioneering legacy, our past, our present, and our future. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. It is great to be with you. Hope you have had a fantastic 24th of July celebration today with friends and family and community safely social distanced. And remember, as always, as you go out into the world today, make sure that you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference.
It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.